0: hello and welcome to episode 67 of craft coke read repeat a conversation about crafting food and books i'm monica and i'm courtney today is thursday june 10th 2021 big thank you to all of our listeners both old and new we hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat how's it going courtney
1: oh my gosh we are side by side
0: we're in person so exciting
1: it's kind of crazy monica is the first person i've unmasked for, which sounds kind of
0: fresh. (laughs) (laughs) I feel so special, though. But I don't mean it that way. (laughs) Hopefully this recording will work. It's been a while since I've done it this way, so we shall see. I guess if it doesn't work, then you guys won't know, because we'll have to redo it, and you'll hear that one.
1: I feel like we should say we are fully vaccinated. Yes. We have run the course of our vaccination window, the post two weeks, weeks and... Our families are vaccinated, and so we have taken every precaution. And California is reopening on
0: Tuesday. Oh, wow. Which is mind-boggling. Feels good to be back. All right. So we have stuff. (laughs) (laughs) All of our stuff. I'm still a little little out of practice doing this in person. Um, So on the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand. And bingo, because it is bingo season. So on the needles, much craziness. The knitting craziness continues. We we went to the symphony in person, which was wonky and crazy and wonderful. Did you take uh, knitting? So I took knitting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the point. So I worked on the socks for Simon, the OMG heels, because they're on the nine-inch cirques, which is great because I'm not pulling needle out. It's very, very minor motions of my hands. So I felt like I could really do it. And I got probably three quarters of the way through the program and I hit where I needed to stop for the heel. So I had to stop, which was fine. There wasn't too, too much left. So I did get some work done on those and then I put them down and I have not experimented with the heel. So I do not know how that's going to go on the nine inch circles. We might have to do something different. I don't know. We shall see. Stay tuned. I worked on my monkey socks a little bit here and there. I can't remember if I worked on my Go Tell the Bees shawl. That's the one where I just cast it on and then it sat for a month. Mm -hmm. I feel like I did pull it out and maybe did one more row. So I have not gotten very far on that yet either. I do have a couple of finished objects, though. Uh, I finished my gnome. I had planned to finish that, I think, the day after we last recorded on that Friday. And I did. So that was cool.
1: And there's a photo of him in the Instagram.
0: Yes, there's a photo of him on the Instagram. Turned out very cute. He has all these cables and a cute beard. Very, very pink the hot pink for the body was a little more pink than I was expecting and I think my beard turned out smaller so it didn't cover as much of his body um, so you really see the pink but he's very cute he's got a little hot pink tassel on his hat the hat is a light pink with lots of cables and texture and so that was very cute and that is a pattern from Sarah Shira who is Imagine Landscapes and this was her sixth mystery gnome along so that was pretty fun I think this is the third one. Oh the Christmas one as well. So this is the fourth one I've done. I'm not sure if the Christmas one counted as, a, as one of the six. Who knows? I don't know. All her gnomes are very cute and super easy and fun and you should check them out. So I finished that one and then another sock hit. For sock madness. I, for sock madness. So the madness continues. It came on a Friday night is when the round started, which I wasn't quite expecting. And it was like seven or eight o'clock in the evening. So there was enough time where I felt like I needed to get started. I had managed to get my yarn wound before the pattern arrived. I had figured it out. You needed a main amount of yarn and then scraps of yarn and two colors of beads. One uh, a bigger size bead than the other one. So no idea what was going on with this pattern. Um, But I picked a yarn color and I was going to pick some beads. I found a good solid color yarn that I liked. I wound it up I went to see if it was already in my stash so that I could take a picture of it if I needed to and make sure it was in there because you have to submit all of your information in Ravelry for the most part. If you really can't, then they have a workaround. But you have to have all your yarn information in there. And so I wanted to make sure it was all ready to go so I wasn't scrambling at the last minute. So I went and looked and the yarn was in there, but I realized it was yarn from one of my knitting retreats that had a matching multicolored yarn, variegated, that I had plans for a shawl with those two yarns. I was like, oh, I can't use it because it's like a, it was the special color. Yeah. It wasn't like I could get another one of that. So that was a little upsetting. So I had to go back into the stash, find another one. Rewind. R- wind, wind another, another one. Yeah. Halfway through, maybe halfway through, maybe not even halfway through the winding of it. The cake flies off the winder. <laughs> so I had to finish winding it by hand. Which takes a lot longer. Oh, yeah. So it was a very stressful yarn situation. <laughs> then I wanted to use pink beads. I couldn't find my pink beads. I knew I had put them back in the, back, back in the bag with everything, but I couldn't find them. I shook the bag. There's no sound. I had actually put them back in there. I just found them. So why they weren't shaking, I don't know. I found some other ones. I found some other yarn. It all ended up working out fine. I moved on.
1: I don't understand how you get the bead in there. Do you have to? How do you do that?
0: So, oh, I guess, so So the socks are called the Sweet Rose Socks by Atelier Midsummer's Eve. The yarn I ended up using was, from Three Irish Girls, their adorned sock in Very Blustery Day, which was this lovely blue-green. The sock itself was really a pretty simple and fast knit, you know, comparatively speaking. It had kind of a a fake cable-y pattern on the foot that went up into more of those fake cables and some diamond shapes, and then within the diamond shapes you embroidered with beads and yarn flowers. So there were 16 of them. So it actually took me a while to figure out how the whole beading thing was going to work because you're basically sewing the beads on.
1: Oh, okay.
0: That makes sense in my head. So the tricky part was was wrapping my head around how to do the sewing and the beading because I could get the beads on the yarn. But at first I thought you had to put the needle through the beads Not true, because the only needle that would fit through the beads, you could not fit the yarn on. Like a little tiny sewing needle would not fit, you Mm -hmm. couldn't fit yarn in the eye. So that took me a while to figure out. Like you would put the yarn with a regular embroidery needle, like a bigger one that you could, that you would use to sew up socks, put it on, get the yarn through, take the needle off, put the bead on. With the smaller needle? No, with the the embroidery needle, because that's the only one that you didn't. There is you use you use dental floss to get beads on yarn. It's a weird Okay. I yeah. You can Google you on YouTube. <laughs> <And> Google, <laughs> and watch the... and Google You can on you... you can Google it and watch videos maybe of how to do that. Maybe
1: and... we can link one that's sure. particularly helpful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so it was so it was lots of steps. And maybe there was an easier way to do it that I did not know. But it was put needle on, put yarn through, take needle off, put beads on. Put needle on, put the yarn through the (laughs) the material, put more beads on. And then you started with the embroidery part, which... 16 times. 16 times. It took me... Per sock or 16 total? Total. Eight per sock. It took me all day. So it started Friday night. This was Sunday morning. I had knit both socks, which was plenty fast. There were already seven people who had finished. And I was like, I'm never going to make it. Why am I even trying? But... It was holding at seven. So I was like, all right, I got to keep going. I've got all day, nothing going on. So I sat down and just started and I would check in like after every, <laughs> every flower. So I think I did, I think I did all of the beads and then I checked and then I went and started on the flowers because it was two separate things. There was like the embroidery with more yarn and the beading. So I was, let's one, learn one thing, bang it out, go on to the next thing. And I just kept checking. And yeah, and I think a lot of people were at the same point as I yeah. was. Because it stayed at seven all day. And so I sent mine in and I think there were four or five of us that sent them all in right about the same time because I was watching and I think a lot of people were finishing. So I was kind of watching for my reply email and did they update the spreadsheet? And so someone who had posted like an hour or two before I finished got approved and then it took a while. So there were two spots left at that point. So then I got my email, I went and checked and there were no more spots so there were definitely two of us that finished like right at the same time. And there was someone else who posted that she had also finished but just missed out. And there was someone else that posted like an hour or so later. So there was definitely, it was a photo finish. So that was pretty exciting. And I got to learn embroidery.
1: <sighs> so I'm stressful. thinking there's got to be a some other way than switching needles. Like those, you know, those dental threaders that are pretty rigid but flexible, and they yes. go very thin. Maybe you could use that the whole time for the beading and the embroidery. Oh, maybe. And, and that way you're not changing, just in case this comes up again. Yeah, hopefully not.
0: <laughs> hopefully not. So it was very exciting. Yeah, and I think and the socks by themselves would have been fine without all of the embroidery. That was a lovely pattern. So a lot of people, and there were several people who were like, I don't want to learn embroidery on the fly. Like, <laughs> somebody just finished and put me out of my misery. I want to see these. Yeah, and I haven't posted... Well, I will have posted a picture by the time this goes out, so you can definitely check Instagram. Posted sneak shots of them in progress and one of the flowers. So that was exciting. So I made it on to the, the penultimate round, which is the team final. So there's only 10 of us now. And that pattern is coming in the next 20 minutes to four hours and 20 minutes. I thought it was going to be from between three and seven today, which is like great, that's perfect. We'll be done recording. I can just focus on the yarn. Then I realized it was East Coast time. So noon to four my time. And and then So we could it's get the take, pattern.
1: It's a takeout night
0: then. <laughs> um it is pretty much. It's it's produce pickup day, so I ordered salad like a salad and a soup from from them. So Good. yeah. So we're all we're all set for that. I have my yarn picked out, it's all wound. There were no dramatic flying off of the cakes. So that was good. And yeah, we shall see. Oh my goodness. It's going to be interesting. Half of it is just how much time you have when the pattern drops. And I know a few people have said, I've, you know, I've got other things going on. One of the people that we for sure thought was, if not going to win, definitely be in the competition and, you know, in, in actual competition for the title has just gotten a new job. And so while he could certainly compete this round, for the final, there's no way he'll be able to to drop everything and knit, so he's planning on competing, but he's not gonna send in his socks until someone else has won for our team, and if, which you know is a choice. And everyone on the team is like, uh, dude, you can totally go ahead yeah. and win it if you want. Like, there's no telling our team is probably not gonna win the grand final, so it really doesn't matter. Yeah, we're all good with it competing. But he's like, no, nah, I don't, I can't. And I was like, okay, whatever works for you. So it should be pretty exciting. Tomorrow is all clear for me. This evening is a little wonky. Saturday and Sunday, I've got some things going on, so so we shall see. But by the time this comes out, we should know who our team winner is, and then then we'll move on to the grand final. It's almost done. It's very exciting. Oh my goodness. Yeah. What are you going to do with all these socks? I've given away a lot of them. Oh, good. Actually, yeah. My mom and my sister both got socks for their birthday, and then I gave the last oh, two pairs ago to Simon. These most recent really fit me really well, so I'm definitely keeping those. The ones with the heart cable fit me really well as also, so I'm keeping those. Good. It's been a good mix. And then the cardigan. My golden poppy cardigan has been finished twice. (laughs) So that one I was also planning. I was almost finished with it. I just needed to finish up the button band collar thingamajig. It's an open
1: front cardigan. It's an open
0: front cardigan. Two colors with some poppy color work design at the waist and a fade on the sleeves and then a fade on the button band so that was all I had left and I finished it I was very excited and I wove in all the ends because the button band is three inches wide so it was a it was a good bit of knitting in fingering white yarn and I put it on and one side was super much longer than the other (laughs) (laughs) and I sent Courtney a photo and my other, my knitting friend, a photo. I was like, what happened? And they're both like, too many stitches. And I said, yep, that's what I thought. Which was a bummer. And,
1: and I don't did, quite understand. Did the pattern say 96 stitches from bottom
0: to collarbone? Or It did not. And okay. usually patterns will do that. And it's, you know, it's based on how many rows you should have had or, or whatever. This one, she gave you a formula. Like for the, this section, pick up this many stitches per row. For this section pick up, I think it was like two out of every three. So I did that. And you would have thought that if I had the same number of rows in both sides, because I matched them, that I would pick up the same number of stitches. But no, apparently I picked up like 12 extra stitches on one side. So I put it in timeout for a while because I just, <laughs> I couldn't deal and had a little think about what I wanted to do. And I I did not want to have to pick up all those stitches again, but I would have done it, except that it was like the the first set of stitches I had picked up and I did not want to screw up the side that I had picked up correctly and then mess the whole thing up. So I pulled it back almost all the way, left in a row or two, and then put them all back on the needles and just started knitting again. But I did about, I guess, 10 or 12 decreases on that one side. And that just shooped choop, everything up. It was in garter stitch, so you can't tell. If it had been stockinette, that wouldn't have worked. I would have had to pull it all back. Right. Which would have been super annoying. So it went faster the second time, I think, because I knew how many rows I needed to do on each colorway. So yeah, so it worked out, and I had more yarn left over because I had used fewer stitches on than in the first time. And then I tried it on, and it fit, and it, it didn't look wonky. And so it's now blocking and, and drying, and I'm very excited. I finally finished it. Problem solved. Yeah. So it worked out. And then I went and I wound a bunch of yarn for like 15 different projects. (laughs) Maybe not 15, but a lot of projects, including a shawl, because it's not like I don't have two other shawls on the needles that I haven't finished. It is summer in San Francisco. Perhaps I should knit a shawl. (laughs) This is true. Well, and it's a a kit that I got two years ago, I think, that Simon bought me for Mother's Day, and it it has a rainbow on it. And it's June, and I've been wanting to knit it for two years. And I keep thinking every June, oh, I should really knit it in June because Pride Month. And that would be super fun. And this today, I was or yesterday, I was just like, oh, all right, fine. I'm just casting it on. And it starts off with the main color, which is just this like really super pale gray. And you knit with that for a very long time. So it's like, oh, I just, I can just knit this really basic thing. But then I spent so much time winding yarn, I didn't actually have time to cast on. And now, now I'm waiting on socks. So, but probably that'll be something I'll cast on um, after I finish the socks which should not take that long, although who knows?
1: Who knows? It's just a knitting frenzy. It is a knitting
0: frenzy, and I started winding yarn for my next sweater, so I could do a swatch for that, because it's yarn that I've never used before, so I have no idea how it's going to work, so I do actually need to swatch that one. So we shall see. Lots of exciting new things for next time. What is on the easel? Well, right now at my house, I'm
1: working on the house grid, which is We've given ourselves a little bit of an extension. This is the project that I do with Hey Hooray Design. Daria and I both have some house projects happening. Mine are very noisy and disruptive, and they make the art room, the studio, just sort of inhospitable right now, which is part of the nudge for our podcasting in real life because Although Murphy's Law, they finished up early today and got, we're, we're waiting for the inspector. So it was very quiet when I left, but it's been jackhammering. This is a project that I wish I could say was going to be super fun, like a swimming pool or <laughs> something really exciting, but it uh, is not a we, pizza oven. <laughs> a pizza oven. It is, we're repairing dry rot, which is just, unsexy, all of it. And it's concrete and no fun. So the energy at our house is definitely one of destruction right now. But when it's quiet, I do sneak upstairs to the studio and working on the house grid, which I'm really hoping we get wrapped up this week. And then I have been making, but not sharing with anyone because they're just silly little things, but like painting things and putting them in boxes like tiny dioramas. And I don't I don't know. They just make me happy. And it's so crazy at my house right now. I can't even it's not not sound cute though. Yeah. It's um it's a fun project. And if we were on Zoom you
0: would be able to show me.
1: Right. And I didn't drag any of them over here. But I have this collection of old tiny little boxes, and some of them are vintage, and some of them are wooden, and some of them are jewelry box, you know, just those tiny three by three or four by two, you know, kind of weird sized boxes, and I like to nest them, and I like to have a couple different layers, and my, one of my sons is doing a lot of 3D printing, so sometimes I can get him to print me like a snail to perch on top of the diorama. But now I'm thinking, I would really love to sculpt those, and what could I use to sculpt? I don't have access to a kiln right now, so I don't know. My my wheels are turning about the dioramas, and it's fun.
0: My neighbor has a kiln.
1: Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I have one of her mugs. Yeah. Kilns fascinate me, and whenever I bring it up, I am reminded that we don't really have a lot of space for a kiln <laughs> in San Francisco but i might try some air dry clay or something like that cuz mm. i'm talking tiny objects so it's okay for me to mm. play small with yep. this so i'm trying to find things that will work with i don't know i i like the idea of like a almost like a curtain layer you know on the outside of the box with cut paper and then something painted behind it, and then something 3D. So I'm just kind of playing around with these little things, and hope, I don't know when I'll show them. The house grid is mostly what I've been working on, and it's hopefully now that demolition is done, I'll be able to sort of get back into a, a better practice. I should just get in my car and go and drive, but it's
0: very gloomy. It has been. Yeah, today is pretty nice, I think. It's pretty gray. Wow. But there have been some nicest nice, nice it wouldn't, days. It wouldn't kill
1: me to, you know, step out of the neighborhood a little bit. Right.
0: Yeah. I have been as I've been driving around noticing little houses, I'm like, ooh, would that work for Courtney? Would that work for Courtney?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm almost done. I they're all San Francisco houses and they're all real, although I did change the color on a few of them. What's really taking time are the details on the Victorians, mm. which I knew it would come down to that. And then some of the terracotta, you know, the, the terracotta roofs, the Spanish tile ones, mm-hmm. I have developed a quickie, shortcut, stylized. It's like like little <laughs> scalloped because it's such a tiny.
0: Yeah. You can't have too much detail. But I think that the
1: gouache grids, that's what inspired me to play with the di- dioramas because I've been working on this tiny scale and some of the boxes feel big compared to the scale of the gouache grid. So, yeah, we're a little late getting out of that. But I have a, I have an art retreat coming up. Really? Not really. You're using air quotes, so I'm not sure. The air quotes are because I'm not retreating anywhere, but my people are. Oh. So I will be solo. <gasps> For the first time in 18 Whoa. months. For how sorry. long? I think five, four days <gasps> or five days. I'm not quite sure. And I'm I'm just thinking four would be excellent. And then if it's five, it's, it's a bonus. bonus. But I, Party at Courtney's. I, I like said, oh, no, I'm totally <laughs> shutting down. I hope that the construction is out of the way. We do podcasts that week, so I'll have like lots okay. to fill you in about. But I am just going to, like, prep the fridge for myself so that I don't have to yeah. cook really. And I have four different projects that I want to try. I'm going to go to the art museum and draw one day. I could totally do that now. But it feels like, I don't know why that feels difficult, you know, because I have to be somewhere at 1.30 or, you know, yeah. whatever. So, yeah, I have four days Oh, and I'm calling it an art amazing. retreat and I'm yeah, yeah I'm
0: not totally hmm. It's gonna be great. That's amazing. hmm You need a t shirt or something. <laughs> and a swag bag. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, prizes. Give yourself prizes. Right, right, right. Have a lottery. <laughs> a raffle.
1: <laughs> I wonder who won. Courtney. Yay! <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I might even have sushi delivered <gasps> to myself. <laughs> uh,
0: I mean, yeah. why wouldn't you?
1: I know. That would be so That sounds beautiful. So that's, it's a little bit low key on the art side right now because it is so high key on the jackhammer side. Yes. It's hard to. I'm sorry. But it's It's done now. Yes. The jackhammering, maybe. The jackhammering is done. Okay. So the rest of our house in an earthquake will be rubble, but this (laughs) patio, this stupid
0: patio. You can camp on on the patio. We'll (laughs) be camping on the patio. Okay. Ugh. Cool. Sounds good. All right, on the table, it's spring. It's, it is so it's almost spring. summer. I mean, uh, yeah, it is officially <laughs> almost summer, but vegetable-wise and pro well, produce-wise, it feels finally like spring, certainly these past two weeks. My produce box has just been full of asparagus and English peas and fava beans, and we're getting blueberries and strawberries and peaches and apricots mm. and all the things. It's just been fantastic, so... It has made meal planning kind of easy, a little bit. I, I, I keep wanting to do something fancy, and then I'm just like, yeah, I'm just gonna, you know, shell the peas and steam them and throw some butter and salt and maybe some mint if I have it and call it, call it a day. And it's been great. So it's just like vegetable party. That's um, so fun. So it's been good. And then to help with that, I checked out of the library how to cook everything vegetarian by mark Bittman, and so i was cooking from that then i thought well this is just silly i just need this book (laughs) so i bought it and it's the 10th anniversary fully revised edition so i did not realize it had been out that long and it's a little bit disconcerting because it is a totally different format from the other two the how to cook everything it has like a picture of an artichoke on the cover there's pictures inside the pages are kind of glossy So it doesn't match my other two books, which is a little bit upsetting, but I will get over it.
1: I have How to Cook Everything and How to Bake Everything, and they're
0: indispensable. Yeah, I have How to Cook Everything and How to Cook Everything Fast.
1: Is there an international one, too?
0: There might be, although I feel like a lot of his recipes are pretty international anyway. Mm, Okay. But I'm enjoying the vegetarian one. I was reading in the beginning, I really liked his thought process about it and, you know, helped me on my vegetarian meal prep journey in that, and I'm, I'm sure I've read this before, it just really struck me for some reason, you don't think of having a main dish and then a bunch of sides, kind of everything is equal. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talked about like how to think about what you're going to put on the table. He really likes pickled things. I, I love of pickled you. things. Yeah do this veg and then another one and maybe a grain and then some pickling things and then maybe some cheese and so that was really helpful especially with all of the produce we've been getting it's been great so I've made a couple of things out of like specific things but it also just sort of really again got me into like yeah I'm just gonna steam the peas and call it good um, and then I'll do a salad, and I've got these strawberries, so I'll throw strawberries in there, and some walnuts, and uh, we've got, che- you know, just kind of building things on the fly, which is not how I usually cook. <laughs> so I am growing <laughs> Excellent as a meal planner. It's very freaky, but it seems to be working out okay. But so, I did make, not vegetable-related, but getting back on my grain thing, amaranth griddle cakes. Ooh. So they're basically pancakes, but you throw some cooked amaranth in there. And they were quite tasty.
1: Were they more savory than...
0: They were a little more savory. Amaranth is just really pretty sweet. And because the first time I made it, I just made it by itself. And everyone wanted to add syrup. And then I made the amaranth griddle cakes Mm -hmm. and everyone wanted to add syrup. And it was dinner. So I was like, well, whatever. You can do that if you want. (laughs) You know, I I love breakfast for dinner. It was not what I was going for with these. But they do definitely taste a little more breakfasty. But it was nice because the amaranth, it's cooked, but it stays a little bit crunchy. So the the cakes are are a little bit crunchy as well. You've got this little little pop and crackle going on. So that was good. And I served those with some white beans that I'd cooked and topped with burrata, which is a trick that I got from Dinner Love Story, which is delicious. And burrata is just... Delicious. It's just, it's one of the greatest inventions, I think. (laughs) It's fantastic. And then um, I think we had peas with that as well and some sort of salad. But yeah, so that was that was a nice little little treat. And then the other recipe I made from that was enchilada beans. So kind of like pizza beans that we've had, but with a more Mexican spin, use. Well, he has you make your own enchilada sauce. I did not feel that I wanted to do that. So I bought some. So you cook it with that and you throw cheese in there, more cheese on top and some crushed tortilla chips and bake it off. The beans are already cooked so there is that you can use if you don't use canned beans there's that extra step of cooking them but I do that anyway and then you can serve them however you want we used corn tortillas and did kind of a tacoy thing I think I did some slaw with that and lime juice and you know just to freshen things up so that was that was quite good as well just a night a you know different way to do beans that was the other thing about that about his book is that he'll have a basic recipe for say lentils but then he has 12 different ways of doing lentils like spanish style moroccan style northern indian style southern indian style so ah i like this book
1: are there a lot of bean recipes in there because you know there are dementia fighting (laughs) are they yeah didn't we talk about that like i don't know i forget
0: (laughs) um yeah, we decided we were gonna oh, up our that's bean intake why you, because yes, I knew you had decided to do that. But yeah, well, yeah, you should look through <coughs> it and see. Hmm. Yeah, so it's more arranged uh, around. There's like a grain section. There's a you know beans and legumes and excellent all the things. So yeah, so I've been enjoying you know kind of dipping into that and even if I'm not necessarily cooking directly from there, definitely being inspired and all just all the produce that's coming. That's great. Yeah. How about you?
1: A um, little bit of baking and a little bit of cooking today, but my big bingo or my first bingo entry is kitchen related because it was so loud. And, like, what can you do? Like, it's you can't read during jackhammering. You can't, I don't know. Well, I cleaned out the pantry top to bottom got rid of all of the like jars and vases that I had way up at the top and like expired cans, all of that boring stuff that you have to do in your pantry. And I do do it around the holidays. I usually do a big clean out around the holidays to make room for all of the stuff that needs to go in there. But it was pretty good to do a a pre-summer clean out. And I Came across my paella pan was like <laughs> way down at the bottom tucked underneath because it doesn't fit in with the regular equipment. And that reminded me, I should make some paella. Yeah. My bomba rice had gone by. You know, rice doesn't last forever. And it, it just had a weird smell. Normally that doesn't happen at our house. So, so I have to get all of the ingredients for paella, but... I did put the pan front and center so that I wouldn't forget. I also came across a big, the leader of jellified Grand Marnier. Ooh. (laughs) What do I do with this? This is, it will never expire, first of all, so don't freak out on me. It's probably been up there for six years. But if it's
0: jellified, can you still use it?
1: uh Uh-huh. It's like commercial grade. And it's meant for flambés, like baked Alaska type yeah. thing. I don't know. I, <laughs> I went to the fancy food show with my mom, and that's why we have this. It's, I just, <laughs> I don't know. I think it might have to go the wayside.
0: I mean, margaritas?
1: No, it's jellified. It's meant for baking, oh. I think. It's not...
0: So it came jellified? Uh Uh-huh. Oh. It's so weird. That is weird. Yeah. Have you searched for what to do with it? (laughs) Nope. I feel like that might be a way to start. It might be a
1: first step. But it makes me laugh that I had this in the pantry for so long.
0: Like, what about in a a cake of some sort? It would make it orange-flavored.
1: It would. It It would be excellent in, like, a bourbon-type cake, I think. Mm. Yeah. Or you could probably... It w- it's probably exactly what they use, you know, when they brush liqueur on a cake and then freeze it for, like, weddings and that kind of yeah. thing. I think it is exactly that kind of application. But it is not my flavor profile at all. So there's that. So this is – I'm counting this as um, organizing my stash. <laughs> I also top-to-bottom detail cleaned my KitchenAid Mixer.
0: Like I laid
1: that guy on her, well, it's a girl. (laughs) I laid her on her side and like toothbrush and toothpick, like detail cleaned the whole KitchenAid in a particularly riveting session of jackhammering. So that's what's been going on in the kitchen, but I did pause to make, to re-attempt shortbread Oh, yeah. Using my Mark Bittman, how to bake everything. I think this is a butter problem.
0: (laughs) Interesting. Didn't you use fancy butter last time?
1: I used regular butter, like Uh my regular organic butter. I think I need, not Kerrygold, but like one of the Danish butters, you know, with the Uh super high fat kind or you know...
0: Something, yeah. Yeah.
1: So... I think I need to go big with the butter. This, the recipe, the only difference between the Mark Bittman and the traditional Scottish recipe was an egg yolk. And I felt like the egg yolk held it together a little bit better. I might have underbaked it a bit, but it said not to let it brown at all. So it was still really
0: sandy. So um the problem is that it's not holding together?
1: No, it's holding together. It just doesn't have that depth of flavor, oh, so that's okay. why I think it's a butter problem. And then, because I cleaned out the pantry, I came across a box of chocolate pudding. We never what? eat pudding. We're not really a pudding household. Actually, I take that back. One person in our household loves pudding, but he loves the Belgian chocolate one from
0: Trader mm-hmm. Joe's. Oh, that is good. And
1: not necessarily the one from the box. So remember when I went to New York with my sister and I came back raving about those pudding cookies and how there were, this was like a whole new thing to me. These cookies on the internet where you added an envelope of pudding mix and it made dense, tender, delicious cookies. I found one that you could chuck a bunch of Oreos into, and I made them just to get rid of the pudding mix, basically. They were a huge hit. I thought they were overly sweet. And it's hard to dial that back if you're using a pudding mix because you just can't tell. So maybe I'm over the pudding mix thing. And now I've used that out of the pantry. So there's that. And then this week I made... A garlic butter chicken with cauliflower rice. Ooh. You know, to offset all <laughs> This is from Eat Well 101, which is a new-ish website to me. I'm sure I've... I don't know that I've pulled anything off of their website before. This is a gluten-free recipe. Nice. Although carnivorous yeah. on account of the chicken. I liked it because the chicken is dredged in one round of spices. It's not flour, egg, breadcrumbs. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not this whole do-si-do production. It was super easy. I just kind of chopped up the chicken and dredged it in. It's mostly Parmesan, paprika, and garlic, and salt and pepper. There might be something else in there. Really flavorful. Cooks up very fast. And then once you're done with the chicken, you can saute your riced cauliflower in that same pan and it kind of picks up the rest of the flavor from the chicken. Nice. So, it's not quite a one-pot thing, but pretty darn close. And I really liked it. Other people prefer regular rice, thanks very much. But then last night I took and halved it. You know, I used the rest of the cauliflower rice and put in some other rice with it, like mixed it up and nobody oh. nobody said a word. Interesting so i thought that was
0: particularly
1: sneaky of me
0: yeah all right so then on the nightstand i along with the knitting crazy apparently needed some really easy reading so i have one serious book and the rest are mysteries and romance (laughs) so if you like romance this is the section for you if you don't You can just Uh, uh, skip this part. Then you can just wait a minute and I'll talk. (laughs) Yep. Okay, so first I listened to How the Light Gets In by Louise Penny, which is Inspector Gamache number nine. So much drama in that one. He goes back to the town of Three Pines. So there's another dead person. They're not actually in the town, though. They died somewhere else. But they are a friend of someone. So they take a little break from having murders in the town, which was probably good for their population. (laughs) But they're back now. And there's also, um, for the past, I think, maybe four books, there'd been kind of a through line of problems within the police department. And that all gets wrapped up. So lots of drama. The murder is solved. Everything is resolved. Good series. And then the romance. I don't know what was going on, but I was like, I don't want to do anything serious. I am just, I'm going well, for fluff.
1: To learn how to embroider flowers. That's so. true.
0: That's true. That does not explain the for romance novels, By reading. All right, so the first one, it started with A Scandal by Julie Ann Long, who is a new-to-me author. And this recommendation came from Vanessa Zoltan of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text and The Rom Pod, which looks at romance novels. And this one is based on Jane Eyre. And Jane Eyre is her favorite book, and that is, they're going to do a deep dive into Jane Eyre series. So someone had recommended this to her. Anyway, so... Jane Eyre without the wife in the attic. Elise is a single mom in the 1820s kind of time. And so she takes a job as a housekeeper to a French prince who is living in England. And he is recovering from a fight that he got in because he's a spy and, I don't know, things happen. So he's all cranky and in pain and she's being the housekeeper and plenty of shenanigans it was very sweet. I liked it a lot. Julianne Long has created this whole world. So there's a couple different series within that world, you know, where the characters show up, and you can read each book on its own, but the characters all show up. So yes, yeah, so I'm looking forward to diving back into that world. She did a nice job of following the Jane Eyre format, but making it definitely her own. Good writing, good characters, nice, nice strong, strong characters, lots of adventures and romance. And then the next one was The Dating Plan by Sarah Desai. And this is her second novel, I think. The first one was The Marriage Game, which I was 100% sure I had read, because I remembered seeing it come out a few years ago. But it is not in my Goodreads, and once I started reading this one, I had zero recollection. So I've put that it one on my... familiar. Yeah, I've, I've put that one on my, my library list as well, because I really enjoyed this one. Daisy Patel is a computer programmer in San Francisco. This is the one I kept texting you about. Uh, Most of San Francisco basically right, but there were some very specific things that were not right that I had to text Courtney about. Well, when you live live somewhere... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And overall, like, nothing was... Glaring. Super wrong, and it was all... I mean, it was technically correct. It was just not... If you lived here, you'd be like, yeah, not really... So anyway, she's a computer programmer, her family really wants her to get married, she doesn't want to get married, and she's at a conference, she's having a really bad moment, and like her ex is there with her ex-boss, her aunt has just showed up with another blind date at a conference where she's about to go present, and her high school crush shows up, they were supposed to go to prom together, he didn't show up, and she doesn't know why. But everything is just going really bad and she's talking to him and the aunt shows up and she's like but I'm dating him and so they like create this whole moment and they end up continuing pretending to go out um, and actually be engaged and he has reasons for it as well of course shenanigans (laughs) Uh, of course you know they're gonna eventually get together all will be revealed as to why he didn't show up for prom I did wonder why it's like 10 years later and she's still not over him showing up for prom but whatever she did had had a crush on him for a while, and if she wasn't still upset about it, there wouldn't have been a story. So it was really cute. So I like that one. I'm looking forward to reading the first one. And then I went back into my Magic in Houston, like my Marvel movie but romance series. This is a series by Ilana Andrews, which is a husband and wife team. And the covers are all very like Fabio kind of romance covers, but they're really Marvel movies. Super adventure thriller they're like the heroine nevada is a private investigator and her power is that she can tell when people are lying and it turns out she has more powers and there's family history and all this drama so this one is the third one in the series and actually the final one which i did not realize of the nevada trilogy and it's called wildfire and her boyfriend's ex-fiance her family she eventually got married and had kids her husband has been kidnapped, and she asks Nevada to try and help figure out where he is. So there's all those shenanigans. You're learning more secrets about Nevada's family. They're trying to become their own house, which is like how you get power in the world of the magical elite. Was, there was so much going on, plus the romance. They're really good. I enjoyed it. And then I immediately checked out the next one because I wasn't done being chill and relaxed. So that one is Sapphire Flames, also by Alana Andrews, but now we're focusing on the middle sister, Catalina, who is a siren. So she can make anybody love her, which is all good until they decide they must, like, possess her and own her and they start ripping her apart. So it's a little dangerous. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Power always has, you know, good yes. and bad sides. Yeah. So a friend of hers, her mom and sister have perished in a house fire, but it seems like A, maybe it was murder not an accident, and B, the sister might still be alive. So Catalina is, it's three years later, Catalina is now head of house because her sister has gone off to be with her new husband. So Catalina is now doing the investigation. An Italian man shows up, Alessandro Sagredo, (laughs) which is hilarious. And she knows him from Instagram, and he showed up for there when they were testing her so that they could become a family. They test your powers and see what what level of magician you are. But then he hasn't, she hasn't seen him since it's like then. It's the SAT for basically magic, yeah. exactly. So she's involved with him. He's trying to help solve the mystery. They have a thing, but they can't have a thing. And she's also part of uh, part of her powers that people will love her, but like her family is immune to it because they already love her as much as they can. So she can't make them love her anymore. But if she wants to date someone, she has to be really careful not to use her magic on them because then they become obsessed and, you know, you want someone to love you because of who you are and not because you magic them. So there's that. I'm assuming it will all work out <laughs> because there it is a romance novel. So at the end, they are separated, but the mystery is solved. We'll see what happens in the next one because I did take a break. <laughs> and I read The Remainder by Alia Chabuco-Zoran, uh, translated by Sophie Hughes from The Spanish. She is a Chilean author And this book was shortlisted for the 2019 Men Booker International Prize, which is for books that have been translated into English. And she was one of the panelists at the Beria Book Festival. So that's how I heard about this. Oh, excellent. This ticks my translation box, which was one of my resolutions for the year. Things to look at. So the book takes place in Santiago, Chile. And there are three main characters. Two of them grew up, have been in Santiago their whole lives. One of them was there until she was early teens, and then her family had to flee to Europe. Her mother has just passed away, and she is bringing her body back to Chile to be buried. So the the structure is kind of funky. The chapters, the numbers run backwards, although the time is going forward. And the first part of each chapter is uh, the voice of one of the characters. He has, sort of has mental issues. He thinks he sees dead people, but he's also super smart and understands a lot of things. So his is sort of a like almost a dreamlike voice and then it goes to the other the female character that has always been in Santiago and hers is she has a lot of issues with her mom and and all three of the parents of these kids I guess were you know what we call them freedom fighters part of the resistance. Mm-hmm. So one of them their dad disappeared, the other family had to flee and the mom, I think the parents of the other girl something happened to her dad for a while um, but then he came back and he you know, was really sick from that. So they all have a lot of personal stress from growing up in that situation, but they don't also, they also don't know exactly what happened. So it's sort of the story of the three of them reconnecting, trying to get her mom buried, dealing with their pasts and their past connections. There was so much of this that I just didn't understand because I don't know the history well enough. Mm -hmm. You know, I know bits of it and I did a little bit of Wikipedia diving so I would almost like to read it again because the structure was different and the, the setting is not stuff I'm familiar with. And, and she put a lot of, I'm sure, references that Chileans would understand that I just don't get.
1: Sounds really multi-layered.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot going on there. So I liked it, but I didn't like it. it you know, It wasn't that I didn't like it. It was just I felt I didn't get all of it out of mm-hmm. that I could have out of it. So that part was a little frustrating, but really intriguing, really interesting, worth checking out if if you think that sounds interesting. Lots, lots going on in that one. And that was the remainder.
1: Good stuff. Yeah. Your romance reading reminded me that I listened to an awesome episode from uh, 99% Invisible, which mm. is one of my favorite podcasts. And it's episode number 445, The Clinch and it's all about the 80s romance novel covers really <laughs> and how that came to be ah. like wh- and why it's this whole thing yeah was an awesome episode and it totally made me laugh and i think anyone would enjoy well i love this whole podcast but yeah, anybody would enjoy this particular episode but especially if you're a reader and especially especially if you're a romance Person because it explains that it's called the clinch and it is all about that like Fabio damsel in distress. Check it out; it's awesome.
0: Ninety nine percent invisible is a like a design podcast. Yeah, right. They so they look into like weird design, but design of everything. Like they had one about the the cattle tunnels under New York City, and they've had stuff about freeway signs and.
1: Flags. His flag yeah. episode is one of my favorite ones oh, of yeah. all time. It, yeah, it's a it's about how we design things for a modern world, but it's also things that you wouldn't necessarily think about. It's not like yeah. fancy interior design. It's why we make things the way that we do. Yeah. So I recommend that podcast, but that episode in
0: particular. Oh, I've got it queued up now. I will check it out.
1: Good. Books? Books. Your books, So... Yeah. I have five books to share with you today. One of them was really quick. It's called The Sound of a Wild Snail Eating. And if there was ever a book for me, this is it. I think so. It's by Elizabeth Tova Bailey, and it's about 10 years old. Hmm. I don't remember where I saw reference for it, and I pretty much requested it because of the cover which has a wild snail on the cover, and I love snails. The book is about, it's a it's kind of like a memoir or autobiographical nonfiction about the author who gets this mysterious illness and come to find out that's not even the crux of the story. But the illness is so debilitating that it pretty much flattens her for several years to the point where she is deathly ill, and she is pretty much horizontal for several years. And she's in the care of somebody who comes in like three times a day and helps her with meals, but she can't be upright because of like blood flow issues. Anyway, so the caregiver brings her a snail randomly. They're in the outskirts of Boston. So she is watching the snail, and the rest of her life is... She's very isolated and she has no real connections and her friends can only come, you know, for short visits on weekends. She's in her 20s, like late 20s. So it's really that part of it alone would be sort of fascinating. But her attention to the snail is pretty incredible. And how she surrenders herself to the pace of the snail and the snail seems fast because she can't go anywhere and she's just watching the snail do its thing and how it, it gets absorbed into her life. And, you know, she makes requests on behalf of the snail, you know, bring it this, bring it that. And, and it is pretty joyful Wow! for a story that's about somebody who's basically in her sickbed and a snail who's been taken out of its natural <laughs> environment. You know, I had all kinds of <laughs> concerns But I loved this book. I thought it was excellent. The timing of it, I think, also fits nicely. You know, the end of quarantine, hopefully, you know, where we've all been asked to alter our pace over the past year. I speak only for myself. I'm not quite ready to go at the pace that I was going before COVID. Right. It was too fast for me before, and I am a total introvert, and I have done sort of I mean, aside from all of the family trauma and, you know, pandemic, deadly disease, but that the pace of it suits me fine.
0: Yeah.
1: So I appreciated her attention to watching this creature and appreciating how it just takes what it's given. Mm -hmm. And I loved this book. It's a slim little volume. I really recommend it if you think that
0: no, <laughs> it know. sounds kind of beautiful.
1: It is it is beautiful. I make a complete 160 sixty. Eighty. 180 360? 180 degree turn here for my next book with The Kingdom by Joe Nesbo, <laughs> which I never if I had picked up this book, read the insert I never would have continued reading, except that my husband read it first. Really and he said, it took him like six weeks to read this book because he's kind of a slow reader. And it was, the library was nagging me like, oh, this that was is due back. Okay. And he brought it back and he said, you've got to read this book. This is so good. He never says that to me. So I felt like, well... The library's closed for two days anyway. I can probably read it. I'll give it a 100 pages and see. And I did read it pretty quickly, but I have to say it has every topic that I hate. It's oh. like, it's Joan Nesbo. So it's like Scandinavian murder, crime, all of it, all of, all of it. <laughs> there's extramarital affairs. There's incest. There's... Oh like it's
0: all of it childhood yeah all of it all the all the warnings
1: <laughs> all the warnings however if this can be said what i appreciate about and this is true for most of joe nesbo's writing he does not feel the need to give you a really graphic rendering of the situation it is merely stated or merely suggested it is not written out Yeah. For me being kind of visual, the stuff doesn't really live on in my head because it's not like he told me what the wallpaper looked like and what it smelled like. He just kind of states it and then moves on to the crime dismantling of it or whatever. So if that can be said, that's the only way I managed to read this book. And it was super complex, totally different than other Joe Nesbos that I've read in this respect. There there are these two brothers, and they're reunited on their family property. And there are, you know, it was like you were saying with Louise Penny, a town can only handle so many murders. (laughs) Exactly. And this town, by the end of this book, is at its murder capacity. (laughs) (laughs) So... There's a lot going on in this book in terms of murder. <laughs> and, you know, it's Scandinavian, so it has a particular flair. It's been translated, so it has a particular cadence. If you can skate over those trigger warnings that I gave you, it's kind of a great who done it, who did it, who's doing it. <laughs> but this town is done, like, with its, yeah, it's at its capacity weird puzzle and I'm and I think my husband wanted me to read it just so we could talk about how did we get to how did they get there there were so many switchbacks and huh like moments that I think he just needed somebody to talk to about it then I did a, another hairpin about turn. Face. yeah about <laughs> face I think you know what I think last time we recorded, I said something like three hundred and sixty-five degree <laughs> view. I totally keep messing this up. Anyway, math, Turtles All the Way Down by John Green, which everybody has read. I have A Fault in Their Stars. I haven't. Yeah, I haven't either. But I'm thinking that that might be a book that everybody's read. Yeah. Which is a bingo like. entry.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know if that's true for Turtles All the Way Down. Mm-hmm. Not so much.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can count it if you want, but... I don't know. I'm not going to stop you. Well,
1: I was going to do The Once in Future King, and you were like,
0: I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I've not... read it.
1: Right. I think. I need to read it for a, another book, I oh, think. Okay. But anyway, so, Turtles All the Way Down. John Green writes young adult fiction. It doesn't really need to be categorized that way, but it it is. Thanks, publishers. And often the characters have some kind of interesting conundrum.
0: People.
1: Yeah, or they they have maybe a challenge, you okay. know. So uh this character has maybe she has OCD. I'm not quite sure. It doesn't ever stipulate her diagnosis, but she's also grieving a lost father. And she has a best friend named, I think the best friend's name is Daisy. Daisy is amazing uh, best friend character who reminds me of the best friend character in Dairy Girls. If anybody anybody's seen that Netflix series, holy cow, it's so, so good. good. And that gum-popping oh, best friend is so the best friend in this book. I love her. These two are trying to solve the mystery of a missing man in their town. Aza 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 is our main character and she went to camp with the man's son. And it's all kinds of complicated and they get themselves connect, reconnected with this boy and they're trying to solve the murder because there's a or um solve the missing case because there's a reward for his return. Huh. But his own sons aren't sure if they even want him back. And there's what what's really propelling this story forward is the relationships between these three kids and how to let someone in when your own when your mental thoughts take over. And she has a lot of intrusive thoughts, which I think is maybe where the OCD part happens and how that affects her friendships and her relationships with a potential boyfriend or a best friend or a mom. And I think that it's super realistic. I just, maybe not the missing man part of it, but definitely the relationship side of it. And I love, I love that John Green treats mental health in a way that makes it very accessible and commonplace like lots of people, I have intrusive thoughts all the time. It's not that it, it might not affect all of my relationships the same, but I for sure have thoughts in my head. So I, I loved this book and it's, I think it might be the first thing I've ever read of his (laughs) in an attempt to find a book that everyone has read. So
0: well, you can always save it, and if you need to use it, you can.
1: that's right. He also has a podcast called the Anthropocene Review.
0: I think he has a book that just came out for the podcast.
1: Yes, and I really love that podcast. It is funny; it always makes me yeah. laugh, and I like his treatment of the world. And his wife, Sarah Urist Green, did the art assignment, which I loved. That's a, that's a book that. I think people would be interested to pick up. Then I read a slim novel called Margaret the First by Danielle Dutton. And this is a mid-1600 restoration era novel about Mad Madge, Margaret Cavendish. Oh. Okay, so her husband was, she's the second wife, mm-hmm. so he has a slew of kids He gets, I don't remember the politics of it, but he's not on the right side. So he gets kicked out of England and he's living in exile in France where he picks up Margaret because of a family connection. So they're married. They live in exile in Holland, I guess, for a little while. And then eventually they can... This is historical. Okay. Eventually... She's tried to plead his case with the king to get his property back, but because she wasn't his wife at the time of his exile, she has to, she's, they say no. Eventually they get back to England and he thinks he's going to get some great post at court and the king isn't interested. And so she, she is writing. So she is a, like a poet poet. And I, to be honest, I've only read the poems that are featured in this book. I've never come across her before. Hmm. But she writes these really weird, whimsical poems. And and then eventually she gets herself invited to speak at like the... Oh, dear. I'm going to forget the name of it. Science and letters kind of place, you know, like a like a think tank about... The universe and I can't tell if she was like a laughingstock or if they really took her seriously but she was the first woman invited to go and speak there and it's partly because of her position in society but she never had any children and her husband for the most part encouraged her writing at a time that was it was like unheard of for a woman to be published. So it fictionalized interpretation of a historical woman. And apparently she, she has went. A
0: very long Wikipedia page, so I think people take her seriously.
1: She, apparently she went someplace. She went out someplace with like, um, like a gold bodice, but no top. Like it was just the bodice, bare breasted, and like two stars on her cheek, and she was like real ticket, <laughs> and caused all kinds of stir. So. Yeah,
0: I had never heard of her. Yeah, I haven't either. She sounds fascinating.
1: Yeah. Mad Madge. So the book is Margaret the huh. First. Another it, it's it's a slim little book. I thought it was um just kind of a romp. And it seemed to be pretty true to biographical details that I looked at too. You know, just written from her perspective. Right. And then lastly for my Lim and Latitude project. I read a book called The House Between Tides by Sarah Main, and this takes place in the Outer Hebrides. It takes place in 1910 and then 2010. The historical side of it is a painter and his wife who retreat there for the summer so that he can paint, except he's in a bit of an artist slump and not in a way that I ever want to be. He's like gone off the ledge. And she is a new wife and trying to figure out her place in this arrangement and in this very remote location. They've come from Edinburgh, so it's totally new to her. His ancestors or his father or grandfather had built this house on croft land and so had displaced a bunch of crofters. And so the crofters are very angry because they've lost their ability to farm and he thinks that they've done them a favor because it's such an inhospitable place, but like, where are they going to go?
0: Yeah.
1: And then the, the modern story is that our main character has inherited the house from her aunt and what's she going to do with it? So now it's completely dilapidated. It's falling down, you know, it's not maintained and the weather out in the outer Hebrides is, not gentle, and so she has to decide what she's going to do with it, and she is running up against the same tensions with the the native islanders as her as the ancestors did, and how all of that comes together. What is so compelling... it it's a very slow build of a novel, but it felt a lot like Rebecca the oh. Daphne de More, de Maurier where. The house is a character. Mm-hmm. When we're allowed to sort of roam around this house, it would be an...
0: And you d- love you love houses. Extra. I love
1: houses, and I love things that are falling apart. Except your own. <laughs> Except my own. Yeah, I am living in my own falling apart house. I really... Cu- At the beginning of this book, I just wasn't sure if it was going to have wheels. the The island also has this incredible bird life population and early on they were killing all the birds I hated that in modern times it's a bird sanctuary and so I appreciate that we've made that change there's a little bit of a selkie influence you know with one of the characters in the historical side of it and she doesn't the modern character doesn't know anything about that and so selkie is a scottish And Irish, no? I think so. Legend where a woman can, or a seal can slip out of her seal skin and become a woman. And like a siren is like super intoxicating to men and like lures them out to sea. And I don't know, there's all kinds of stories. And so there's a little bit of that in one of the, in one of the storylines I would say by halfway or two-thirds of the way through, I was so invested in these people and what was going to happen. It, it just it got very rich on the back side of the book, but it was a little bit of a slow build for me. And, yeah, I do love a house book.
0: And it wasn't too many things going on?
1: No, it was just swings between these two time periods, and I liked that it was 1910, 2010. You know, we were pretty much on those same tracks, right. and then, for the most part, it was from the wife's perspective, and then the the younger woman who had inherited it, her perspective. Right. There are other perspectives that come in, but it wasn't distracting. Cool. So, yeah, that was my like rewarding read of of the past week.
0: Nice, quite a range. I know, right? From which is good <laughs> snails
1: to. <laughs> Scandinavian crime to bare breasted (laughs) historical
0: philosophers. Yeah,
1: all kinds.
0: All kinds. All right, so bingo. So it started May 28th and it will run through September 6th, which is Labor Day here in the US. To enter, you need to post a photo of your completed bingo card or, you know, with a row, column, or a blackout for a second entry. You can post it to Instagram with the hashtag CCRR, Summer Bingo 2021, or to the Ravelry thread if Ravelry is safe for you. Uh, And I did start that thread, so I was very pleased to remember that. Uh, So you can post your photos there. You do not need to post pictures of what you're working on, but we love to see it. Use that same hashtag. And a thank you to Tamara Moots, who has posted with the hashtag. Excellent. She has started cooking three recipes from one cookbook
1: Ooh, what book is she using? Uh, to made
0: in india by mira Soda. so she made i think chana masala which looked really good
1: and that's uh, yeah awesome
0: plus it's you know one of our new favorite cookbook authors so yeah that's very exciting so yeah so please keep posting because we love to see those things um so i've i've worked on a couple i have some other plans I read a book set in a foreign place, which is the remainder, because that took place in Chile. And then uh, I read a book by a person of color, The Dating Plan. Um, And I'm sure there's more on my list. I just haven't checked. I don't think any of my other romance ones are. Yeah. And my finished work in progress was my gnome. That's great. Yeah. Coming along.
1: I organized the stash, the pantry, and that was a humongous project. That got me into all kinds of trouble.
0: That's one of those things where once you start, you just, you have to go through it. It took all, it, and it day. Just, yeah. all day. Yeah. All
1: day. But, you know, it was noisy. So I also have, a, this will definitely not be the last of my books set in a foreign place, but the kingdom was in Scandinavia. Margaret the First was in Europe, in and out of places, and the House Between Tides Was the Outer Hebrides in Scotland? So I have three in one week for that guy right there, and I think that's it for my first stab at bingo.
0: Nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Jasmine Guillory's new book is coming out early July, and she always has food stuff, really good food stuff. So I'm thinking that'll be my my cook from a, a novel entry. Yeah. So I'm saving that one up. And she usually includes recipes. Oh, that was something else. She bought snacking cakes, my book, my favorite little cake book, and she made the powdered donut cake because I guess a lot of her friends have it and have been cooking for it from it. So I feel like we're besties. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> That's she, awesome. She makes the same cakes that I do, but, and it also inspired me to make that again because it is really delicious and does taste very much like a powdered donut. Hmm. You get a bigger, more satisfying piece of it.
1: That makes me a little hungry.
0: You haven't tried that one, have you? Mm -mm. (laughs) Because you need more baking in your life. Or you
1: could make a double batch and share.
0: That's true. (laughs) I could do that. Well played, Courtney. All right, so keep on bingoing and all the other good things. And make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or CourtneySF, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.